0: Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please use the hashtag #NowChurch. Thank you and enjoy today's service. Well, we're so glad that you're here today. So glad that you're with us online. And uh, it's going to be a great day. We finished our series called Family Matters. Have you enjoyed it? It's been a great month, I think. Just something fresh. Just a, just a fresh look at what God is doing, what God is saying. And today the message is called Glimpses of Grace. Glimpses of Grace. You know, you never need grace as much as you do in your own family, right? I mean, come on, let's face it. We all got a weird uncle somewhere. We all got, you know, we all got people that show up at Thanksgiving that we wonder, wow, is that really blood relative or, you know, we all got people, you know what I'm saying? We all have things. Family is tough. Family is sometimes hard to navigate, but that's where we need grace, not just to come for us, but grace to come through us. Amen. We're going to get into the inerrant, the inspired, the infallible word of the living God that's able to change us, starting in Psalm 68 and then over to John chapter four. Psalm 68 verse four says this, sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, by his name, Yah. Everybody say Yah. I always said this, that God, he's so positive and strong. That's why his name is Yah. That's positive and strong, you know? I I used to say this, if, if God... Was, was wimpy, like some people think he is, he'd have named his name. His name is Yah. That's yes in a lot of languages. His name is Yah. And rejoice before him. Verse five, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary, the alone, in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Feeling lonely today? God places the lonely into families. Now I want to set up for you John chapter four, the story of the woman at the well. Many of you know it, some of you don't. But in John chapter four, Jesus and the disciples have been on a long journey and the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria, the King James said, must needs go through. Remember Pastor Chad Braswell a couple weeks ago was talking about the Samaritans and how there was a, there was a racial, ethnic disparity, anger that was generational and there was a lot of hatred. Well, the Bible says that Jesus on this particular journey had to go through Samaria. In other words, um, the disciples probably weren't crazy about him going there but they had to get through there to get to where they were going. So Jesus gets to, through Samaria, he goes into Samaria and he finds himself at Jacob's well, which was an historical site, but it was still a functioning water well. And the Bible says that he and the disciples were tired and hungry. How many know Jesus is the son of God, but he's also the son of man. As a son of man, he, um, he got tired and hungry. And so he's, he goes there and, and, he says, and, and he says to his disciples, why don't you run over to Publix and get some food? We need to get some, some food over there. And, um, and, and he said, I'm going to stay here at this moment. And as he does, the Bible says it's noontime, high noon. Not the time when most people want to go to the well, and carry big water pots back to the village. But there's one woman there because she probably doesn't want to be there when everybody else is there. Because she's got a bad reputation in her city. They begin a conversation, some of you know it, they begin a conversation and it goes from water to a discussion of Jesus revealing that he is actually the thing she's thirsting for. And she has enough religious training and teaching that she says, well, oh, so you're a prophet. And she says, well, if you're a prophet, tell me about worship, which is the right place? You know, you're talking to me, a Samaritan woman. Um, You're talking to me, Our people say you got to worship on this mountain and the Jews say you got to worship on that mountain. Which one is it? And Jesus said, you missed the whole point. It's not about geography. It's not even about historical references. He says this, verse 23 from the message says this, but the time is coming, it has in fact come when what you're called will not matter, where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must, I love this in the message, engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. For God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship Him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, in adoration. I want to point out the key part today is not just about engaging your spirit, but this, the Father seeks worshipers whose heart is engaged in their desire for Him. Finally, John 14, 9, Jesus said to one of the disciples, Philip, after an interesting question, he said, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? My friends, if we want to know what God is like, we have to look at Jesus. Let's pray together one time. Father, would you open the eyes of our heart, Would you let your word come and fill us? Would let your anointing descend upon this place and change us? Give us another glimpse of the fullness of your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked about raising the roof. We said school begins in the home, the best place for spiritual growth and affirmation comes from dad, comes from mom, comes from discussions and stories in the home. We talked about coverings, building a safe place to raise a family, which is the centerpiece of all culture where values are formed. So changing the world begins by what you do in your own home, in your own family. Today, I want to begin with this. Don't you, don't you hate being misunderstood don't you hate it? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't your world be better if other people could just see your intentions? That's not what I, that's not what I meant. That's not what I, that's not what I really, no, no, it came out wrong. Even when you're talking with your spouse, wouldn't that be awesome if they could just see your intentions? Ed Cole said this, we tend to, to judge others by, our, by their actions while judging ourselves by our intentions. He said, the world would work a lot better if we did the opposite. (laughs) One man tells a story of being in in the back of a crowded elevator in a busy airport. When the door opened at his floor, nobody moved. So he being in the back said rather loudly, excuse me, I need to get off here. The weary travelers bristled at his statement and began scolding him. In like fact, one man said, Hey, I was just trying to be a gentleman and let the ladies off first, bud. An agitated woman exclaimed, You just need to chill. The man of God felt so embarrassed at their overreaction. If only they knew he wasn't trying to be rude, he just didn't think they were going to move. We live in a world of constant criticism and judgment of the heart motives of others. And the fact of that the, the matter of that is that Jesus said we don't qualify to do that. We're not you're not qualified to know what's in somebody else's heart. You can only read their actions. Like Jesus said by their fruits you shall know them. We're supposed to be fruit inspectors. We're not supposed to be critical trying to guess what's in somebody's heart. But in the last year, it's gone exponentially up. Where We're all trying to second guess what we really think. What's in the motives, what's in the heart of people. And trying to change it. And I'm telling you, you can't change hearts any more than you can really know them. But God is the one who can do both. You know, one of the greatest revelations that you get in this life after you've been walking with the Lord for a while is, God is God, you are not. There's only one God, and it ain't me, and it ain't you. A big part of all the divisions in our world right now is that people are making assumptions of what other people actually believe in the depths of their hearts. Where Jesus said, every tree will be known by its fruit. The word discerns the heart. The Bible says that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God preached, proclaimed, read. The word of God lifting off the page and hitting you is the only thing that has the right to dissect the why behind your what. Let's make it plain. The most misunderstood person in the world is God himself. He gets the blame for all kinds of things he didn't do. When I was in the insurance business almost 35 years ago, I used to wonder at the phrase, in all the insurance contracts, an act of God. We cover this, 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 and this, except as an act of God. You're like, excuse me? Because then I started to read beyond the traditional approach of Christianity that I was raised in, and started to realize God is a good God. And I started to see that the Old Testament concept of God under the law, the Bible says the law didn't save anyone. The law was simply a tutor. It was a school teacher to get us to the place when Jesus would come fulfill all of it and show us we couldn't do any of it without him. The Old Testament is not a picture of God the Father that a lot of people still have today. God gets bad press. He gets bad press from the insurance contracts. He gets bad press on TV. He gets bad press from religious people. Because people assume that God is like the people that are around. But listen, he wrote an entire book of life, in fact, 66 books with 40 different authors that we call the Bible, that would tell one story, his story, his story, of his great love that moved him to sending his only son, Jesus, to save us from our sin and from our shame. A lot of people get the idea that God is like an old man looking out the window, waiting for somebody to mess up. Hey kids, shut up. You're being loud in there. And I want to tell you that God is not like that. Heaven is not Old Manistan. <laughs> Yet many perceive that God is aloof, inaccessible, or distant. Others think he's mean or intimidating, or even that his desire for worship is somehow a self serving, narcissistic need for constant praise and attention and affirmation for some insecurity. But God is not insecure. God is God. The Bible says he is the all-sufficient one. So he didn't create us because of some deep-seated need within him. He's sufficient within himself. In fact, God is more interested in the heart. Listen, God is more interested in the heart of the singer than the song more interested in the heart of the writer than their books on worship, more interested in the heart of the preacher more than our sermons. One author said, God would rather have a love-filled glance from your eyes than a song parroted from your lips that you don't mean. Because God simply wants love more than liturgy. so important that we get to know the heart of God. We have to see that through Jesus. We, you can only see that through the cross. You can only see that through the New Testament. You can see the heart of God. God revealed in the Old Testament, he revealed, the Bible says, his ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. His ways, he revealed to one And then Joshua, but to the crowd, God reveals his acts. You have to press beyond the crowd to find his heart, the heart of the father. How does the Lord think? How does he feel? How does he connect with his kids? I'll say it this way. God has a heart for companionship. Interacting with his creation. He didn't just want obedient subjects. If God just wanted obedient subjects, he would have created more angels. God wanted a family. One of the great problems in our world today, whether you realize it or not, is loneliness. In 2011, the UK... Launched a governmental campaign all over Wales and England and Scotland, Ireland. A campaign to end loneliness because they realized that they were having an epidemic of loneliness. So they did a whole study, and I don't have time to give you all the stats like I did a few weeks ago about fatherlessness, but the statistics of loneliness today are unacceptable. They're incredible. The study said a lack of meaningful social connections is linked to cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, depression, dementia, and even premature death. Some people right now are dying from broken hearts because they feel so alone. Interestingly enough, The same study was done in the UK in the lockdown, the beginning of lockdown month last year, end of March, all the way through April and into May of 2020. And it was big, drastic, and severe, but it was the same as it had been before. People that felt alone still felt alone. They just felt more alone. People that felt part of a family, part of a community, still felt like part of a community. My friends, right now, the scariest part is that we live, see, the, the study showed that, that it's a U-shaped curve in the statistics of this, that, that somehow that the under 25s are at the high end, and as you get past the mid-20s, you start to, you, you, you lose that loneliness factor. You're, you got people in your life, and then it starts curving upward over 55. <laughs> Sorry, did I say something funny? <laughs> but 65 and over and under 25 are the tops of this you. The thing about it is, we have the answer. But here we are, more distanced, distracted, divided, and distributed more now than a year ago. And I would suggest this to you. It's possible to stay lonely even in the middle of a crowd. It's possible to still feel alone even when you're surrounded by people, even if you have a big family, if you allow those things that try to vex you internally to remain there, to exist and to keep talking to you. Because aloneness emanates not from just where you are physically. Aloneness emanates from an emptiness of the soul. The Bible said this way, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The great news is our God has a plan to conquer loneliness. In fact, he never fails at it. Psalm 68, we read it to you in the text today. God sets or places strategically the solitary into families. The word solitary, think of Solitaire, a game you play by yourself. God sets the solitary. Listen, the literal Hebrew word for solitary means this, not properly united or connected. God takes those who are not properly united or connected and sets them into families. but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. There used to be a song by a group called America. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm not going to do Harry Chapin again this week. But there's a song called This is for All all the Lonely People. Remember that song? Don't give up until you drink from the silver cup. This is for all the lonely people. God has a place for you in his family. God has a place where you fit, where you belong, no matter what the enemy says. The woman of the well knew a lot of people in her city. We know that because at the end of her time with Jesus, she goes and wins them. She's one of the first evangelists that Jesus empowers, a woman preacher. One of the first true evangelists and she affects her whole city because they knew her. At least the men did. The women knew her too. But I, I will venture to guess but the women didn't want to have anything to do with her. The woman in the well was alone. You know when God talks about lost people, he's talking about people who have lost identity, lost their created purpose, lost their meaning, lost their understanding of who he is, pardon me, and who he is, who they are in him. Think of the guilt, the shame this woman must have been caring from her past. It's been suggested that she was probably the only person at the well at that time of day, noon, because of the way the other people, especially the women, felt about her. That she wasn't welcomed in the morning shift when most women came to get their water because it was so hot in the day and so much hard work to draw that water. It was your... Peloton. It was your workout in the morning. It was your way. But here she was at noon alone by herself. And Jesus, being weary and tired, sends the disciples on for groceries and says, I think I need to be here for a moment. And when she comes up, they start a conversation. My friends, water is heavy, but sin is heavier. Water is heavy. They always tell you, if you going to when you weigh yourself, you better weigh after you dewater <laughs> and before you rewater. <clears throat> OK? Why? Because water is so heavy, just a little bit, can weigh a lot. Guilty conscience weighs a ton. I think I'm speaking to somebody at home right now. Guilty conscience weighs a ton. Jesus may have been the first man that this woman had ever met in her life who was more interested in her heart than her body. They begin a conversation a relationship about water. They just start a conversation, a natural conversation. They're at a well. They both come to the well to get a drink. And so this natural conversation begins with God himself. When Jesus shares about living water that's available to her through him, the woman replied, give me this water that satisfies so deeply. Where is it? That's when the Lord shifts gears and says, go call your husband and then come back here. And I'll tell you the answer to that question. And she says, I have no husband and he, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, working with him and in him, <clears throat> already knew that, in the word of knowledge, he said, that's right. He said, go call your, co- your husband and come back here. And she replies, it's complicated. And he said, that's right. You've been married five times. And the man you're living with now, you didn't even marry him. You're just shacking up. Then she turns it, oh, so you're a prophet. Oh, okay, I understand who you are now. And that's when she shifts and deflects, deflects it into a conversation about religion and tradition. My friends, Jesus sensed a thirsty heart maybe he senses the same in you. Jesus met her where she was and led her out of, I love this statement, the blinding fog of irrational arguments. He cut right through, listen, in one moment, listen to this, in one moment with one woman with a past, Jesus cut right through racial division the Samaritan-Jewish divide, religious division, the correct mountain for worship, the gender division, Jewish rabbis didn't talk to women, and moral division, her past. All these things should have kept them far apart, even from having a conversation. But if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus' heart, you've seen the heart of the Father. Aren't you glad today that when we were lost and broken, that he went and paid the price and looked for us anyway? I don't know about you. I wasn't looking for God when he found me. I was trying to push him away for years. I was trying to rationalize how well I was doing I love what Michael Pitts has always said when he comes to preach for us. The truth that sets you free often makes you mad the first time you hear it. Didn't know I was lost. I thought I was a pretty good person because I did more good things than bad things. A lot of our world and a lot of American people that have a head knowledge of God believe the same thing. Studies have shown that people, by and large, believe. <clears throat> they say, I believe in God. And I'm a Christian. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of people, if you really get down to where, it, where the truth is, the Bible says we can never be saved by our own works. Our own works are as filthy rags before God. We can only come to Him in a robe of righteousness that we can never clean ourselves. It has to be washed by the launderer's soap, the fuller's soap, the Bible says, that Jesus himself has washed us. Pastor Chris and I were talking yesterday just on the phone about this devotional we're both reading and we we're doing this year, you know, one year Bible study and we just got to Leviticus this week. And Leviticus is interestingly disinteresting. I mean, it's the word of God, but it goes into a lot of rituals and laws and this, and you got to put this and you got to do that. And you got to, and this guy's going to make this. And I, I love the, about the artisan making the temple, the tabernacle. I love that part, but it just, it just, if you go through it and you don't have a theme you're looking for, you can really kind of glaze over in Leviticus. And I said, I, I said the other day, I said, God, Father, I, let me understand some stuff here. I don't mean to rush over. Your word says that every word is important and crucial. So I'm here out of respect for your word. But unless you do something, I don't get it. Pastor Chris said something yesterday, he just really blessed me. He said, oh, I got something out of the fact that every time that they would sin, the priest, they would have to bring a lamb or an offering alive to the priest and then that person would have to lay their hand on that lamb for their own sin." And he said, it hit me the personal way that Jesus identified with me. Imagine if you had to watch an animal being slaughtered that you had just laid your hands on it and you're saying, I deserve death. I deserve punishment. But I impute all of this sin in my heart, and I put it on this animal. And now you had to watch that animal be killed in front of you. Can you imagine that? Sometimes we don't get the full effect of the cross because we didn't have to personally lay our hand on Jesus. But instead, he laid his hand on us. This woman wasn't qualified to be an evangelist. She wasn't qualified to be loved by God. But he loved her anyway. And he invited her into his family. Jesus came, the Bible says, not to condemn the world but to seek and to save the lost. We talk about seeking God. God wants us to seek him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What I understood this week from some things God was doing around my life is this. Not only does God want me to be a seeker for more of him, but he's still searching for more of me. He came to this woman because he was seeking lost people. Jesus is looking to hang out with people who would simply love to hang out with him. Prayer shouldn't be the obligation. Prayer should be the desire. I've always understood I've got to seek after God, but I want you to understand He's seeking after you and me too. And He wants to, according to our text today, Psalm 68, out of His fathering heart, a father to the fatherless, a husband to the husbandless, He wants to plant us into His family, His church. He places the solitary into families with one little caveat that I already mentioned. Those who rebel from that can dwell on a dry land if they want to. This woman could have said, well, I don't understand what you're saying about worship. <clears throat> I don't understand what you're saying about my husbands. I'm embarrassed that you've exposed my sin. Oh, you're one of those guys that condemns people. But instead, she embraced it and was so changed that she ran to her community and invited all the people to come out to meet Jesus. Psalm 92 says this, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God they shall still bear fruit in old age. I didn't say anything. I'm five years older than you, so I don't, I don't have I'm, I'll always be older. I'm just looking to the right and to the left. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. My definition of planted may be different than yours. My definition is this, planted equals faithful plus fruitful. Grow where you're planted. I don't think we talk enough about loyalty to where you're planted. By the way, Jesus got so refreshed from his ministering to the woman In his conversation interaction, that the disciples got back with groceries and said, Who fed him? He looks full. He looks satisfied. And he looked at these guys and said, You don't understand. I have food that you don't understand, I have food you know not of. my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What does food do? Nourishes. Satisfies. Jesus looked like he'd pushed back from the table after a pot roast. Looked like he'd already eaten. This woman... Found the heart of the Father and came into the family. What's my takeaway today? It's time to catch a fresh glimpse of grace. God is faithful and He has a place for you. Too many people transplant so much they lose their root system and they die off. No more hokey pokey. Remember I said it a month ago? Put my right toe in, bring my right toe out, put my right toe in, shake it all around. No. Wow. wow. We're filled with humor today. <clears throat> That's what it's all about. It's possible to stare Grace in the face and not embrace it. Jesus is still seeking true worshipers today, right now. He's searching for your heart so you can know the Father's heart. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment as we pray? Father, we are moved by your generous love, by your great grace, that you would love us even when we feel unlovely or unlovable. That you would reach out for us through simple encounters and conversations of the mundane things of life that you're looking for, you're seeking after those who would worship you in spirit and in truth not to sing a song alone, not to offer a praise or a prayer alone, but to simply be with you. Lord, today as your kids, we just wanna be with you. We just wanna be with you. As Paul the apostle wrote, after knowing you for years and years, My goal is that I may know more of him, that I may become progressively and more intimately acquainted with him. Lord, we want to know you. And we want the people around us that are lost and hurting to know you as well in a real way, not out of tradition, not out of religion. Not out of denomination, but to know you. Show us presence. Oh, that's a great song. <clears throat> One of my favorite old songs. Back when we started this church, Pastor Lindsay's playing it now. It says, I just want to be where you are, dwelling daily in your presence. I don't want to worship from afar. I just want to be with you. If you're here today and you don't know this Jesus, maybe you've been one who has trapped your your picture of God, your thought when someone talks about God, you think of this tyrant or this angry old man, Father Time looking out of heaven to see who's acting up and needs a smack. That's not our God. Our God loves so much. Listen, if you're going to go to hell in this world, you're going to have to step over Jesus to do it. You hear me? A lot of young people say, well, if God is so loving and so good, how can, how can he send people to hell? He doesn't will send themselves to hell when they refuse to grab his grace Jesus has done everything and all you need to do is receive him today if you're here today maybe watching connecting with us online if you don't know this Jesus in a real and personal way if you've never laid your hands on that lamb in other words figuratively If you've never seen your sin given over to Jesus and crucified on the cross, I invite you right now to get in on this prayer I'm about to pray. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, if you've never surrendered to him in a real way, this is your moment to simply throw off all the other stuff, to cut through all of the arguments and divisions and to say, I need a Savior I need Jesus. If that's you, would you put your hand up right now and lift it up and keep it up. Just put your hand up right now. Lift it up and keep it up. Be bold in your proclamation that he's the Lord of your life. Maybe you're at home and you're struggling. We've come by this well today to talk about what you're drinking, what you're drinking in to your life. But everybody pray this with me right now. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart in a brand new way. Change me. Change the water in my life. I want to be washed by the water of your word. Forgive me. Save me. And help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you meant that today, then hopefully something goes from here right there from your head to your heart because that's where salvation really takes place amen if you got something today put your hands together and bless the Lord will you come on thanks for joining us at Now Church for the latest updates visit us at nowchurch.com including live or on demand video online giving and much more and don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms including Facebook Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you.